flourishing families with Dr. Daughter Blatt, the switched-on kids chiropractor, and her passionate friends, sharing the secrets of inspiring wellness to help your families thrive. I'm really excited to have Anita Pugh with us today from my Soteria. Um, Anita is a nutritionist, I believe, but I don't actually really need to fill you in on that because she's here with me. <laughs> Tell me all about you, please. Hi, daughter. Nice to be here. Um, I am a nutritionist. Technically, I'm called a nutritional therapist because I trained in London. Um, so over there, they call it nutritional therapy, but here, most people recognize the word nutritionist, so that's what I use. Excellent. And tell me, what, what do you do? We, we're obviously looking at um, how it works for, for kids and stuff, so how, how does uh, your side of nutrition work with, with kids? Um, well, I'll say I'm a realist, and that's why I guess most parents are attracted to coming to me, because I like to find things that work for busy parents rather than make it too complicated. Um, there's no point in being all pure if you've got sort of three, four, five, six, seven-year-olds who aren't going to have a bar of it. So I've got an um, eight-year-old and ten-year-old daughter. My ten-year-old's a celiac and my eight-year-old's just plain fussy. So we have um, – and I'm allergic to, well, you know, all sorts of things, dairy and egg and stuff like that. So we have tricky meal times. Uh, so I, I try to keep it real um, and just use a lot of real food and avoid packaged food. So my ethos is, you know, we say jerf, just eat real food. Um, my children understand when in the supermarket, if they're picking up a lot of junk food, I usually say, what's it made of? Yeah. And if they can't read the ingredients, then they sort of know, well, that was made in a factory. It wasn't made with love. So it's probably best we don't put that in our body. Oh. It doesn't always work now they're getting older. but that, That's wonderful, yeah. though. That's such an education, isn't it? Because, you know, what is food? Where exactly. does it come from? Yeah, yeah there's a lot of um, chemicals in our food now. Um, and I guess different to some nutritionists or maybe dietetics rather than reading the nutritional panel which would be you know calories fats carbohydrates that sort of thing I tend to teach people to read ingredients and I yeah. sort of say well you know will grandma or mum have those things in their kitchen yes and if they do it's probably not a bad choice yes. it could be worse um, but if there's lots of numbers there or big words that you can't pronounce that's a sure sign that that was definitely made in a factory and you can't make that at home so it's probably not a good choice yeah. so that's how we try and educate the kids about yeah. their choices. It's interesting. Uh, I've noticed with a lot of the gluten-free foods, you know, so it's uh, people think that gluten-free foods are good for you, but when yeah. you go and look at the packets, it's nasty. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what's your opinion on gluten -free that? Gluten-free is a classic marketing situation um, where it gets a bit confusing because people do go, oh, it's gluten-free. So you have to not get confused by thinking gluten-free means healthy, yeah. so it doesn't. So having a celiac daughter, we are very familiar with looking for gluten-free foods. Um, but to be honest, we have a min like minimal packaged foods. So I would say to people, your gluten-free foods are real foods. So, you know, your fruits, your vegetables, your proteins, um, nuts, seeds, beans, that sort of thing, lentils, uh, you know, eggs, cheese. You don't have to eat foods that have a label on them saying gluten-free. No. Obviously, if you are gluten-free and you are going to buy packaged foods, then you do need to check for that. Yeah. But I would say keep the packaged stuff simple. So we might buy things like some Sakatar crackers. Um, and it's an interesting one because the plain ones are gluten-free, but the ones with flavor have a diagram on the front with a little line that points to the cracker that says it's gluten-free but if you flip it over and read the ingredients oh. you'll see actually the product is not gluten-free because it'll have soy sauce or other things in it yes so you've got to get quite savvy particularly if you're celiac or really sensitive to gluten to picking those things up but 
the best way really is just to eat real foods. Yeah. So then if you're gluten-free, you're only reading, only avoiding, you know, wheat, oats, barley and rye. Yeah. So that's um, that's not too tricky. And it is getting easier because people are recognising that lots of people are much healthier with yeah. gluten out of their diet. There's yeah. nothing really healthy about gluten. So if it's out of your diet, it's not a problem. Try it, see how you feel. That's what I say. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, gluten-free foods has definitely become a bit of a marketing problem. <laughs> definitely. Mm. Uh, so what, what made you uh, step into the nutrition uh, field? Um, when I was about 14, I got a little bit of eczema, just the classic signs behind the, the knees and in the creases of my arms. And then by 20, I was often bedridden with really serious eczema. At uh, 21, I had my first anaphylactic shock, and that was my first brush with allergies. And the thing that made the biggest difference after getting passed around to a lot of specialists and using creams and all sorts of stuff was actually being put on a really strict elimination diet. So I was always into sport, so I played a lot of rep netball and things like that, and I kind of would bandage my feet at half time because they oh, were really? bleeding. I had so many oh. cuts, and I, I was often in quite a bad way, particularly in winter because, you know, all the oils – um, come out of your skin. Yeah. So I also have a skin condition called etiosis, which means I don't have oil glands. So that would make the eczema even worse. So the thing that stood out to me in my early 20s was how powerful diet is on your health. So even with those skin conditions, by changing my diet, which wasn't particularly bad, you know, I grew up on a very basic British diet, yeah. you know, meat and three overcooked veg. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So there wasn't, a, yeah, exactly. there wasn't a lot of nutrition in it, but there also wasn't a lot of junk food. No. You know, we didn't have sort of soft drinks or any of that sort of stuff. Um, but there wasn't enough nutrition in it and I was eating enough things that were bothersome to my eczema. So that was my first kind of light bulb moment where, wow, that's amazing. So I took a real interest and I just started reading everything about health and nutrition and stuff like that. But I went off on a classic sort of corporate career and it wasn't until I was, I think I was about 29, that I decided to jump out of corporate and retrain as a nutritionist while I was in right. London. Yeah. And the nice thing is when you're doing a degree that you love is you just can't get enough of it. So yeah. I did as much... Um, you know, you've got to get your points for continued professional development. I did about three times the quota because I just loved it so much. So, uh, and I've just never lost the passion for it. So I've had moments in and out of practice um, around children and traveling and we have another business, um, but my passion just stays the same. And now obviously as a mother, I think the moment I, I remember doing my nutrition degree going, I'm never treating children. I'm petrified of children. And then of course I got pregnant and then had, you know, babies and toddlers, and you sort of say, oh, actually, nothing is more profound than changing a child's diet and seeing how quickly they react. Yeah. And you really can, you, if you can change a child's diet, um, if you know what you're doing or just with a few little tips, you can keep a food diary and make a few changes. And with a child, you see it so quickly, whether it's their behaviour or their skin or, you know, their poos, yeah. you see a really quick change. So it's in some ways it's a lot easier than treating an adult. And what's really good is that you know that you can set up habits for a lifetime. Absolutely. Um, and, yeah, they yep. may go a little bit haywire through teenage years. Yeah. But usually I think they come back to, oh, this is, I felt much better. I hope yeah. so. Yeah. And I do hear a lot of people say that, um, when they've gone through those, even those uni days and they sort of go out and party and they eat a bit of junk and they say, I just needed to go home yeah. and eat how I was taught to eat. And I've met a lot of adults like that. So that gives me hope yeah. that that's what my children are going to do, <laughs> that when they really fall off the rails, they'll know what to come back to because yeah. they sure are tricky at the moment. 
10 and 8. Yeah, yes. 10 and 8, and, you know, think they know everything, of course. Of course. Mm. And they do. Yeah, they give, they give me nutrition lessons, and anyone that wants to listen, which can be embarrassing. <laughs> that's, that's very good, then. So, so is there anything, I mean, I realise you can't, because it always depends on uh, the particular person, but then is there anything that you would say, I'm working in Newcastle, uh, this is the number one uh, issue that I come across that could benefit um, there's look there's so many different symptoms that you see but what what I actually find is it all comes back to doing the same thing so that's the reason why I actually like doing uh, talks rather than consultations because I find that in a talk I can do I can give out so much information that gives people lots of little tips and they can take the ones that apply to them but I would say the things that stand out is children not eating enough protein so kids should start their day with a really healthy protein breakfast because of blood sugar swings. Now, if their blood sugar is going up and down through the day, it's really hard for them to concentrate. Yeah. Uh, it's certainly hard for them to maintain behavior. Um, so if you've got, you know, a little squiggly worm who's kind of getting up and down out of his or her seat or just agitated, they need to have balanced blood sugar. And the way to balance blood sugar is have protein with every meal, which is a bit tricky for kids. You know, they have fruit break and stuff like that. Um but you can start the day with a good protein breakfast. So that would be, like in our house, that might be a smoothie and some scrambled eggs. Yeah. Um, the girls are at our age where we're sort of teaching them to make their own breakfast, so they might make a sort of ham and cheese omelette. Um, we have some good quality cereals and we use different milks and we rotate them. So we might have some almond milk one day and then some quinoa milk the next. We're not not a big fan of cow's milk because of the eczema in the family. Yeah. Um, so... <clears throat> excuse me there's also the leftover options so we get a little bit uh tunnel vision with breakfast we think it's got to be in a cereal box and yeah. to be honest most cereals you might as well eat the boxes to eat the cereal they're usually packed with sugar mm. and there's no real nutritional value and there's certainly no protein so my probably top tip would be send the kids out the door with a really good protein breakfast and we sometimes like might cook sausages or we have leftover bolognese and that goes in their lunch boxes as well so we have little thermoses um, so the girls went off to school yesterday with chicken sausages and it really doesn't take that long. Like we're in the kitchen messing about making breakfast. I just stick on some sausages, cut them up and put them in the thermos yeah. and that's their lunch. Yeah. Um, and I find they eat it. Mm. And I suppose it depends on what your children are used to. Bearing in mind we don't have sandwiches in our house. Um, so, you know, gluten-free bread's not not lovely as a sandwich. It's fine to toast it, yeah. but I haven't found one that I'm loving as a sandwich. So I'm mm. not going to make my 10-year-old eat that. Um, so even, yeah, we just make things, we use the thermos a lot. So lots of leftovers and leftovers are good for breakfast and they're fast. Mm. So uh, yesterday morning we had leftover bolognese, little, little bit on some, um, toast. So we go to the markets on Sundays and we get some really good quality gluten-free bread there and it's got pumpkin seeds and, um, you know, I I can't have butter. So I'm going to put a bit of olive oil on. So there's lots of options, but sometimes we get a bit, oh, it's got to be a breakfast cereal. And it definitely doesn't. It's, it's funny though, you're sitting there talking about spaghetti bolognese and maybe not spaghetti, but bolognese for breakfast. Yeah. I'm thinking, oh, I, I don't you know. Do I, it. I don't think yeah, I should go it's there. not for everyone. It's, it's definitely not for everyone. But Happy with the eggs. Yeah. Happy with the smoothie. Eggs are great and yeah. they're fast. Yeah. And I think sometimes people think, oh, eggs, we're really busy. Um, and I get that. Like we are a really busy family as well. But honestly, if you just crack a bunch of eggs into a jug and whisk them up, pour them in the the fry pan, you know, with a little bit of butter or olive oil, you know, what, ghee, Don't whatever you want to use, yeah. stir them out, pump them in the bowls, like you're done. You fed everyone yeah. within five minutes. And what about the smoothies? Are you a fan of the – you're looking for protein here. You're a fan yeah. of the protein powders? What You've what? got to be really, really fussy with your protein powders. So I have a 
few different ones that I use and rotate. And then if you don't want to use a protein powder, because the really good ones, to be fair, are quite expensive, um, you know, you get what you pay for. So you get your pea protein and your Inca Inca and things like that. Um, and there's different different brands depending on, you know, what you want to get in there. But you can literally just put a couple of um, nuts in. You could put some avocado in, which might sound a bit like ooh, but you can actually make a really nice chocolate um, smoothie with some cacao and you can add the avocado and the avocado is going to give you really good fats which is amazing for their brain um, and it's also going to give you that protein yeah. so you can stick that in and they don't even have to know that it's in there because yeah. my kids freak out but then they take the cacao overrides the flavor yeah. so it's a bit like bolognese you, know, you can put mushrooms and all sorts of stuff in it chopped up and they don't know it's there That's right. because the tomato overrides the flavor yeah. so I don't like to hide too many things because I sort of think my kids are at the age now where they need to know that's what they're eating but I do sometimes still yeah. sneak stuff Squeeze. in. Yeah. yeah. So you can literally just, um, you know, lots of people aren't a fan of raw eggs, but again, it, it will give it like a fluffy sort of texture and you don't taste it. Mm. So if you're going to do that, I highly recommend great quality eggs, which I recommend anyway. I yeah. wouldn't be using your standard sort of supermarket or cage no. eggs for that. No, no, um, that is absolutely fair enough. And what about, uh, again, talking school kids, um, I know that they often are not allowed to have – Nuts at school, you know, which is often that sort of protein yeah. snack that you can have. It's, it is a real shame. And I know that, um, and this one's a killer, some schools have even gone egg-free because of, and we've got a really um, anaphylactic child with egg at our school, but they haven't gone egg-free. They've just trained trained the children to wash their hands and stuff like that. Um, I, re- I really find it hard not to have the nuts. But you know what? You've just got to feed the children outside of school hours, those sorts of things. Yeah. So the things that you put into school hours obviously meet the criteria um, so we will do like, you know, two half portions of fruit, um, maybe one portion of veggies. So crudités, which is, you know, you chopped up celery, carrot, capsicum, um, cucumber, yeah. cherry tomatoes. So we might have a portion of that. There's often a treat in my kids' lunchbox, but it's a homemade treat. Yeah. So I might make a batch of chocolate chip cookies that are gluten-free and they're quite small, mm. but they look forward to that at recess. Yes. So they'll have, they'll know. And, and I've just trained my kids from, the get-go that they have to eat the real food first and then the treat later and if the lunchbox starts coming home and the treat's gone and the lunch the protein's not gone from the lunch you know whether it be the bolognese the sausages you know whatever they've had um then the treat goes the the treat's not in there the next day and so i just and i just explain the benefits kids don't and even adults, prevention's not sexy. Yeah. Like no one wants to know what what disease they're preventing and kids can't relate to that at all. So with kids, you've got to talk benefits. Yeah. So it might be, you know, how, how well they can concentrate at school, um, how it will help them to sit still, um, you know, the antioxidants run, in those coloured veggies. Run faster. Run faster, yeah, play yeah. soccer better, you yeah. know, achievements that they can relate to. You know, for toddlers, it might be their great Superman smoothies and things like that. Yeah. So you've got to try and speak their language, which I'm not a master of. I just try. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if I've got little boys come in, I go, oh, God, I've only got girls. What do I say to boys? Yeah. You know, but, but mums know. Yeah. As yeah. a mum, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, we used to do a lot of the hummus. Um, oh, yeah, hummus is pro- awesome. Yeah, talking proteins. Yeah. Um, if you can get some hummus in the kids' lunchbox and get them to dip their crudités in the hummus, yeah. that's, a, that's a great lunch. So you might have some, um, you know, you might have, Cut up some chicken breast. You can do like a um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a broiled chicken breast. And you might do that the night before, yeah. and then you might put that in the freezer for the next two days. So in the lunchbox, you might send some chicken breast with some crudités, like I mentioned before, cut up vegetables and some hummus, and that's a great lunch. Yeah. That's a really well balanced lunch. Protein. Protein. Uh, I read the 
um, uh, Bureau, Bureau of Statistics, I can't even say it, ABS recently released a, um, a report from 2016 looking at uh, fruit and vegetable consumption in Australia. Mm-hmm. Less than 1% of our population, adults, children, babies, get enough pro- uh, you know, get enough um, fruit and veg in yeah. their diet. Less than 1%. It's really scary. Shocked. It's really scary. And, you know, really that's predominantly what our diet should be made up of is plant foods. Mm. And, I look, I love my meat, so I'm not saying, um, you know, you have to be vegetarian or vegan. It's like all things. It's all about balance. Yes. And I know in our family uh, we eat just a classic sort of diet that does include meat, but we have to do better. And so I say, well, you know, let's have a meat-free night on these nights and I try and find foods that um, or meals that are yes. vegan friendly. Yes. Um, and and the kids are kind of on board with that, but at the same time, I don't want to turn them into vegans and then not have enough foods in their diet. No. So no. you know, I have a vegetable curry or something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, I think yum. I mean, my yeah. husband and I could happily eat vegan seven yeah. days a week because yeah. we like lots of vegetables and yes. lots of options. But kids, look, I get that kids are tricky. Um, and I'm not evangelic with nutrition because it's hard. Like it's hard, and it's hard work. Like I'm busy, and to you know shop for fresh food all the time, to cook a fresh meal every night, and I am no master in the kitchen. No, <laughs> like, no. And plus, the challenge is that it's not necessarily just going to the local supermarket. It does require that you stop here and then you stop there, and that's it. it. Takes, takes yeah. A bit more time, so my top it? tip for the supermarket is um, shop around the outside. So all of your fresh foods are around the outside. All of your packaged foods are through the middle. So if you are using a supermarket opposed to going to the markets or, you know, the butcher and the baker, um, try and stick around the outside so you've got your fresh produce and your meats and your frozen foods. And frozen's okay. Mm. You know, I've always got frozen peas. I've always got a few backups in case I run in at the last minute. Um, So a last-minute meal for us would be an omelette with some peas or broccoli on the side. And that can be thrown together in like 10 minutes. Which you need. Yeah, yeah, some nights definitely. Busy, busy mum. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. You know, whether you've got young kids that are kind of hanging off you while you're trying to cook, and or you've come home from a, a you know, you work full time, you've come home at six thirty, and you're trying to throw something together, or you know, my kids are heavily scheduled now because they've got all these hobbies. Yeah, um, <laughs> they're ruling your life. <laughs> they're ruling my life, and so somewhere in there, you've got to make food a priority. And I last two weeks ago when I did a talk, one of the things I have worked out in the last few years and I was sharing this with the mums there was I think the greatest gift you could give your children is teaching them how to cook. And the reason why I say that is in France they say only 16.8% of the population is obese and that is tiny compared to the US, the UK and Australia. Yes. And they think the reason for that is because the French cook so much. And there's something in that. I think if you can walk into the kitchen and just throw something together, like an omelette, yes. you know, my husband made one this morning. He's off to Sydney for the day. He literally just got all the scraps. There's a bit of leftover capsicum. There was some limp tomatoes, and <laughs> I'm not very good at using stuff if it's not looking fabulous. But he's quite good. He made this amazing looking omelette, and I thought, oh. Did you share? Well, I can't have eggs, oh, but I, I did say to him, I went, oh, that looks so good. Yeah. I really want to eat that. And he's like, well, you could have the same without the eggs. And I'm like, yeah, not quite the same. <laughs> Just <laughs> but, hide those tomatoes. <laughs> I know, exactly. But, you know, it's really um, it's really a testament, I think, if kids can go home, especially as they become teenagers and in their 20s and you're no longer cooking for them, yeah. but if they have those basic skills. Yes. And I've had to um, teach myself and – I still struggle. Like I do it tough. I'm not a natural in the kitchen, no, no. but I work really hard at it because it's a priority. 
and I'm constantly thinking, how can I share ways with my children to cook and make meals and do this better yeah. and engage them? Because half the time I'm doing it so quickly, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, no, I'll do it, I'll do it. You know, so, but I'll often get them sitting up at the bench doing their homework, and I might say, all right, you know, I'll read out your spelling words well, and you chop this, and you talk, you know, I just try to somehow incorporate the homework with the cooking and you know, busy family life. I have to share a funny story. My uh, my son went, you know, after the HSC, had a year overseas. Oh, yeah, brilliant. Uh, and he was in Canada and we went to visit and, you know, I did the typical mother thing. He was at work and he went to go check the cupboards and see what was in there. <laughs> was it just beer? <laughs> well, there was a significant amount of alcohol. Uh, however, it was really funny because he had all these packages of uh, dried beans and lentils and oh, wow. all these things. And you have a proud mum. I was so proud. <laughs> and, you know, the, the fridge was, you know, there was vegetables and he said, I have vegetables overnight. But anyway, so no, here he is and he has to leave Canada. And he, he, he was saying, well, you know, lentils and split peas and all those things, they're very cheap and I can oh, provide, you know, really good uh, sustenance that can keep me going for when I'm at work. Uh, but the funny thing was he said, you know, I've sort of run out of recipes for split peas. You know, what, what else can I do with split peas? So he had split peas in everything. Oh, he really? made, you know, the vegetables, so stews and, you know, bolognese or whatever, but it had split peas in That's, that's brilliant. Yeah, so he Because I wouldn't think to do that. I'd be like, what do I do with split peas? <laughs> that's what I mean. I, yeah. yeah, I've still got so much to learn. I'm learning all the time. Yeah, well, he definitely didn't learn from me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a great eater. <laughs> that's me I'm really good at eating not so good at cooking now what, what's your thoughts on baby's first food um, I still think they need to be six months plus yeah. uh, I know that sometimes mums who feel like their babies are hungry get told to start feeding the babies at four months but the evidence in my world still says six months is a better yeah, time too, yeah. yeah and the main reason for that is so that they have got their digestive system is more formed it's had a bit more time um well, even at that six month mark and certainly if you're starting earlier because you feel like the baby's so hungry and that's your advice from your pediatrician and that's what you're going to do then it's really slow steps, really slow. So, you know, you want really benign, inoffensive foods and you want to do one food at a time and you, and particularly if you're from an atopic family, so that means if mum or dad has allergies, eczema, hay fever, asthma, anything like that that is very genetically passed on, yes, then these are the sorts of things that get triggered from a really young age. Um, and if the baby's already got some eczema, cradle cap, and they say, I was reading something recently, that cradle cap is your first sign of potential eczema. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, really interesting. I, and I hadn't read that before either. Um, so just be really slow. So whether it's the five-month mark or six-month, be really slow, one fit at a time, things like sweet potato and stuff like that. I'm not a big fan of the oats and the rice. I'm not a big fan of giving babies that young those sorts of things yeah. and I certainly would be waiting till over 12 months if at all to be bringing in wheat yeah um it's very aggressive and if you know baby hasn't got a great digestive system it's not going to do the baby any favors yeah. um as a mum you you do intuitively know this stuff and I would even though I'm a nutritionist, I would often doubt myself because there's nothing more precious than your child's health, you know, and you sort of think, oh, maybe I'm wrong and maybe I should do this and maybe I should do that. Um, I had problems breastfeeding and so I had to switch my first order to formula at eight weeks and that was so traumatic for me because I hadn't planned that in my head. You no. know? And as a first-time mum, you don't you don't realise you could have problems. No. Um, so I was in agony for a long time, finally switched over, ended up being such a blessing to do that. 
But she got diagnosed as a celiac at seven. And so I have that typical mother thing thinking, well, what if I'd breastfeed her for longer? What if, because I did all the other things right, I didn't give her wheat under one. And then she had very little wheat in her diet, strangely enough, but we somehow, she, you know, the, the celiac gene got turned on. So you either have the gene or you don't, and then you can have it turned off or on. Once it's on, you can't necessarily turn it off, but it obviously got turned on. Um, and so, you know, you can only do your best and, and you have to sort of realize that you can't know what the outcome is going to be. But that's probably where someone like you actually would come in really handy because, yeah, we do question ourselves. I, mean, I often talk to, to chiropractors that bring their children to see me. It's like, we're too close. Can't, yeah, can't take the see. best care of your own child because you're right there and you're, you know, emotionally involved. Yeah. But, from your point of view with mums with feeding, you know, it, it's, you know, it might be worth, I'm thinking this, what do you think? Yeah, you absolutely. And and it's really advice. easy as a nutritionist, like just purely professionally now, looking at a food diary. So if you've got that baby that's sort of six months, just started um, having solids and then you're getting to the sort of 10, 11, 12-month mark, but you've got some issues with um, baby's poo or sleep or rashes or, you know, pains in the tummy, yeah. that sort of stuff, then it's really easy for someone like me to look at a food diary and say, that's your problem. Yeah. You know, that that's pull that out. there's a lot Try of that. Again. There's too much. Pull it out and see yeah. how you go. Um, and even for the untrained eye, keeping a food diary is a really interesting exercise. And I say to people, if you've got any symptoms, you or your children, keep a food diary. And a food diary means every single thing that crosses your lips. You don't forget that can of soft drink that you had no, or no. that thing that your child's having every day, three times a day, but it's tiny. And so, oh, yeah. they're just having, oh, they've just grabbed a Smartie. It's only a Smartie. It's yeah. like, yeah, but you know what? If you're having five of them a day times seven days, it's quite yes. a lot of Smarties, yeah, yeah, quite yeah, a lot of colours. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's a crazy example. But a food diary means keeping everything that passes your lips written down and then writing next to it, the it's called the mood kind of column. So any symptoms that you have, how you're feeling, um, if it's you or how your child's acting, if it's your child and its behaviour. And sometimes the untrained eye can look at it and go, you know what, I didn't realise they're just eating bread and cheese all the time. Yes, I, I give them this food, but they only eat this. Exactly. Yeah. I'm presenting this, but they've had a sandwich at lunch because, you know, that's fine, that's easy and that's fine. But then they're coming home and they're having some toast or, you know, at dinner they're not eating this, but then they're grabbing, you know, a bit of cheese. And you, if you really look at a food diary, sometimes it's really obvious. Yeah. Sometimes not. I once had a mum who the problem was um, Granny Smith apples. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. And I looked at the food diary and it was the fact that the child was having four a day. I was going to say there would have been a few. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, yeah, there's actually a chemical in Granny Smith apples that doesn't agree with everyone. And that's what his problem was. So we took it out and he was like a different child. Perfect. It's, yeah, it's really sometimes it's someone, that simple. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's bird's eye view, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. pulling away that's it that's fantastic that's been really really helpful i think we might have to have you come back and, and share some more of your I'd love yeah, to. yeah but just just run through again so you're from misotu yes yeah my soteria yes. yes so when i named my company back in london many years ago as a you know a, a young woman who was thinking oh what cool name can i have um so soteria is a greek word for all-encompassing health rescue and obviously my but it's not my it's mi so that's one word um and then I've just never changed it. I just, you know, no, stuck. Is it how people rem- will remember it? How, how can they find you? So if you um, – I've got a website which is just mysoteria.com.au. So it's M-I-S-O-T-E-R-I-A. Or if you Google my name, which is Anita Pugh, P-U-G-H, you should be able to find me. Um, That's good. Cool. 
Yeah, because well, I'm sure... bring you. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm happy to be here. That's fantastic. I thank you so much for your time. That was so, Pleasure. so informative. Really appreciate that. No problem at all. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the opinion of Family Chiropractic or the host. Brought to you by Family Chiropractic Centre, Charlestown. Serving the families in Newcastle, Lake Macquarie and Charlestown.